0: good afternoon everybody my name is Russell and I'm an alcoholic uh, and uh, uh, and I'll say uh, happy New Year to everybody uh, what I really want to say is thank God we got through that deal you know <laughs> thank God it's over I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little explanation of that I'm not a I'm not a big New Year's fan uh, which is interesting uh, when for 30 years of my life my whole life, uh, was focused on wait till New Year's and partying and all that sort of stuff and not that I needed New Year's in order to drink or get drunk but New Year's is like one of those deals to me it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a celebration of being an alcoholic it's even non-alcoholics try to be alcoholics on New Year's, it's pretty pathetic you know and now I got to tell you, it's uh, it's. Uh, and I know whenever we have a spiritual action, whenever you're disturbed, no matter what the problem, there's something wrong with me. And I probably have to look, in, look forward to it, but it's not one of my favorite times of the year. It's it's not. I I, I don't enjoy it, quite frankly, uh, because to me, uh, well, and I'm not saying for everybody, even though it sounds I make a lot of generalizations and they're dangerous, but 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 it seems to me the whole world is celebrating that which is the problem with the world and uh celebrating stuff that i'm going to talk about today i I, I promise, by the way to uh i'm going to try to uh behave myself uh you know i'm I'm doing the steps here at this group uh on thursday nights and uh anybody who's been to any of my step meetings you know i uh i don't think i'm controversial but i mean i guess uh, one guy was telling me says you know there was a gal cursing you during the meeting you know and i said you know something like that used to bother me i uh and now I now I can't explain to you how amused I get, how much satisfaction I get about the idea that somebody a week from now is going to be saying, "I hate that guy Russell," you know, <laughs> living rent free in her head. Uh, this is my birthday month. I'll have 30 years this month, God willing, if I'm ever here. And, uh, I make it through. I, the stuff I think about, the, the stuff I really want to talk about, the stuff that's important to me, is a little bit different than when I first came in here. And so, if you come in here now expecting to hear a drunkalogue, not that I don't think those are important at times, and I love a good drunkalogue like everybody else, that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm probably not going to talk much about drinking, uh, if at all, because uh, it really has very little to do with my life, and uh, it, was, uh, it was really a small, devastating part of my life, but I've uh, I've now, you know, after 30 years, I've, uh, I'm 61 years old, I mean, I've lived half my life now sober, so I'm going to talk about things that are important, I'm going to talk about what, what's the most important thing to me, and that is not only sobriety, but the solution. And I'm going to talk about a spiritual journey I had. You know, it says in the, uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, first of all, let me, let me, not that this is going to help, because alcoholics hear what they want to hear. They really do. They, hear what, they don't necessarily even hear what I'm saying. They just hear what they want to hear. I was, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they got very upset, and they said, I said, why are you so upset? And he says, because you're trying to tell me this. And I said, I'm not trying to tell you that at all. I was trying to tell him an experience I had, something I had, and he could use it or cast it away or do whatever he wants to do. And, and because of where he's at and who, who he is, he thought I was like preaching to him. I wasn't preaching to him at all. He thought I was trying to convert him. So I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm just doing what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is like a giant supermarket. We all get to share our deal. It says if you want what we have, whoever we is, and I hope one day, I pray that you find your we. I pray you find your we, because if you don't find your we, you'll have no vision. And you know what it says in the Bible? When, without vision, the, the people perish. Vision is important. Knowing where who you are and what you are and where you can go with this thing is important. Otherwise, you're just taking up space. And, you know, one of the things we do in Alcoholics Anonymous is you all talk to each other and we all you, all you all get a sense of where people are at, and then you get to sit there and say, I like that guy. I don't like that guy. I want to have what he has. I don't want to have what he has. And you get to choose where who you want to hang out with and what you want to be, because, because what, what I can tell you after 30 years is what I heard a long time ago, which is true. And that is, in the next five years, the person you'll end up being will depend greatly upon the people you hang out with and the books you read. And the books you read will depend greatly upon the people you hang out with. The old saying is right. You lie down with dogs you do get up with, fleas. And, you know, you, you know a lot has to do with who you hang out with, the people you hang out with. So, you know, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about... Uh, what, what I believe the big book is about, uh, in the, on page 29 of the big book, and this is, the caveat is, this is my experience. I'm going to talk about my life. Now, you could disagree with me about a lot of things. You could say you don't agree with me about a You could, you could, you, we could argue about a lot of things. But there isn't going to be any argument about my life and my experience, because this is my life and my experience. It may not be your life or your experience. You may not want it to be your life and your experience, okay? You may want to do something completely, you know, that's fine. That's That's perfectly okay. I'm not saying to you you need to do it this way. What I'm saying to you is I'm going to explain to you, like the stories do in the big book, like Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson did, I'm going to explain to you what happened to me and then you get to decide now and forever where, whether any piece of that makes any sense to you. It's as simple as that. And uh, no, no harm, no foul. You know, you don't want it, that's fine. And, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about. Because in the big book it says, on page 29, where it talks about the clear-cut directions, it says, it says each individual in, his, in their personal stories, and it's our stories which disclose what we were like, what happened, what we are like. Now, our stories are very important. Our testimony. It says our witness. Each individual in the personal stories explains in his own language. In his own, I'm going to use language. You may not like my language. It's my language. I don't have to use your language. You use your language. I use in his own language. And from his own point of view. This is from my point of view. It may not be your point of view how he established his relationship with God. That's what the big book says. You know, you can argue with me about a million things. But, you know, you get out the big book and you look on page 29 you read the line itself. It doesn't even say how we got drunk. You know, if I want to talk about how we got drunk or talk about getting drunk or doing crazy things, I'll go down to some bar on 79th Street and I'll sit around with listen now folks talk about getting drunk. That never helped me. If I want to talk about problems, I'll sit around with some guys that really are never going to get sober. and They can tell me about all their problems. And they can bitch about their ex-wife and the alimony and all that sort of stuff. But that never got me sober. I'm not saying talking about problems because we're problems people, people reporting about that stuff, even giving drunk logs isn't important for identification. But I'm in here for the solution. I'm in here to experience much of heaven and be rocketed in the fourth dimension of existence. I'm in here to get what those other people had that I wanted and for that, I need, to, I need to know solution. I don't want to hear a thumb-sucking crybaby talk to me about all his problems. I don't need 50 minutes of, let me tell you how bad it was, or what a victim I was, or how horrible it was, or all that blame crap. I want a, a message of depth and weight that will get me out of here and take me from here and put me there and give me that which I can have forever. That's what I want in Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to walk out of Alcoholics Anonymous with a game plan, knowing I can go someplace that I've never been before and get that new happiness and that new freedom, not like anything I've ever had before. And not really, maybe understanding where I'm going to get it or how I'm going to get it, but know that it's possible because I saw some other guy or gal do that deal. And so I'm going to talk to you about God, and that's what this whole thing's going to be about. And if that pisses you off, you know, I apologize. You know something? I don't apologize. Because in, in, in my 30 years in and honest that's entirely what this book is. You know, it may sachet here, it may go there, it may go up and down, it may go through all sorts of apologies because you're alcoholics and you're sensitive and touchy, and it may say, you know, but with the bottom line is it's exactly what the, the chapter in Chapter of the Agnostic says. Your kind of thinking has to be abandoned. Mm-hmm. You know, if a mere philosophy of life or better morals would have helped us, we would have been sober long ago. The fact of the matter is it didn't help us. A lack of power, that was our problem. We had to find the power. And, of course, we wrote a book where we have to talk about God. And there it says, and that's when we all part ways and get crazy. Because nobody wanted us to talk about that thing. And in every single meeting we have, in every single meeting in Alcohol Synopsis throughout the world... They read the 5th chapter like we read it right now. And in the middle of the 5th chapter, after everything's said and done, it says, But there is one who has all power. May you find him now. And then 20% of the people naming and saying, I don't want to talk about him and I don't need to hear anything about him. And they expect to get everything these guys got without talking about him or thinking about him or being pissed off about him as we talk about being open-minded and working the steps and all that sort of stuff. But they don't want to talk about the main deal. They want to talk about managing their lives. They want to talk about how their lives all screwed up and how they can fix it when the big book says you can't manage your life. They want to talk about their husbands, their wives, their children, their grandchildren, the boss. They want to talk about all the people in their lives when, they, when the big book says no person can relieve you of this insanity. And when the final thing in the big book, it says, after you read that thing, it says, but God could and would if he were sought. Being convinced we're now at step three, but they don't want to talk about that. So you want to know something? When I get the mic, I talk about that. Because Bill Wilson, a long time ago, said, the Lord's been so wonderful to me curing me of this terrible disease that i got to keep on talking about it and telling other people because I love other people so much and I want to have so much of what I have that I'm going to talk about it and I can't impose my feelings on anybody but I sure as hell can expose myself to you. And that's my only job, to try to carry the message. And the message of my sobriety is find a relationship with God, trust God, clean house, and miraculous things will happen to you. And if you don't do that, you may stay physically sober for even a long time, but somewhere along the road, you're going to notice these little three-mile islands, these things are going to blow up on you in all sorts of different ways, making your life totally unmanageable from time to time, and you're going to sit around, and you're going to try to figure out, why is my life so goofy? Why can't I have long-term relationships with people? Okay? Why do I feel crappy about myself? I mean, I'm getting a 20-year medallion, a 15-year medallion, a 5-year medallion, a 30-year medallion. Why is my life Oh, what, what, what am I missing I'm missing something and you're going to find you're missing the mortar in that deal where it says first of all we had to quit playing God so I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my story which isn't going to involve drinking you're going to have to assume that there's a possibility that I used to drink alcohol <laughs> that my life isn't so boring that I got nothing to do with myself that I figure I'd pretend I was an alcoholic and come to AA meetings so I could speak to you all All I know is this. The only thing I'll say about alcohol is this. And is is I defy anybody to drink alcohol and have it do for them what it did for me and then stop. You just ain't going to do it. No woman, no suit of clothes, no amount of money, no nothing ever worked for me quite as well as just a few drinks. And so I drank it and the problem with my life is that eventually alcohol stopped working for me and the real problem with my life is alcohol stopped working for me about 10 years before I realized it stopped working for me (laughs) and when that happened you hurt a lot of people you know? and and I I came to the realization I looked one guy in the eye one day and this is what I said to him I said I need help I can't stop drinking that's what I said I need help I can't stop drinking which may not seem like much but it was a big thing because for many years I didn't think I needed help at all and then there reached a period of time where I thought I needed help, I needed a woman I said, I need help, I need money I need help, I need a new job I need help, I need, I need help but it had nothing to do with alcohol and then one day I, I thought I had a, maybe an alcohol problem and I even said, I'm an alcoholic I drink this. I'm an alcoholic, I drink this no blog get but I didn't think it made my life unmanageable and then one day my life got real unmanageable but I didn't think it had anything to do with alcohol it had to do with my wife or my ex-wife or you, whatever it is and then the day came where God gave me a gift. And the gift was this. I looked the guy in the eye and I said, I need help. I can't stop drinking. And somehow I realized my life was unmanageable and I couldn't stop drinking. And the unmanageability of my life, which I could manage, had something to do with being powerless over alcohol. And when those two things met, apparently I was at something called the first step. And I didn't even know that until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and maybe a few years afterwards. Now, a lot of the stuff I'm sharing with you today about my life and stuff I've learned about my life although it may be factually correct and I say may be factually correct because you know I'm I'm 61 years old and this took place over a 30 year period of time who knows this is my impression I'm not certainly trying to lie I'm trying to give you the facts as I remember them the truth of the matter is many of the things I recognize in my life now and I'm sure this has happened to you guys sometimes you just go through stuff in life and you're just going through it and you're in hand to hand combat with life and you're just, you're just spending your time trying to stay sober and live and stay out of trouble and not get hurt one second, one minute, one hour at a time, not even understanding or realizing why you're in the mess of what's going on, running around. You just sort of make it through the day and you don't drink and you feel good and everything like that and you're, 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 you're just, it's just sort of like you're playing tennis. With you know some super tennis player that's just hitting balls at you, right, left, and sideways, and you're just trying to get through the thing, and some, and you get through it, and you get a little better, and then this happens, and that happens, and so you learn a little something here. And, that, and maybe ten years down the road, all of a sudden you see a pattern and you realize something, you get discernment, and it becomes all clear as to exactly what was happening the first month. You know? <laughs> you know? And you can get up and you can explain all the nuances of what happened the first month and you see it and it's so clear, but it wasn't clear when it was happening. It was like a blur, you know what I mean? And so I'm telling you stuff that I've learned and, you know, and I, and, and I know enough about what happens in this disease. It said, You know, one of the things it says in the promises, he says, we begin to see. How no matter how far down we've gone, we can see where it can help others. We begin to see that. We see things in our lives that can help others. That means something. That At 30 years, I see stuff that can help others that I knew about 15 years ago, but I didn't see where it could help anybody. But now all of a sudden, I see something about it. We, see, we, we, we start losing fear we start of economic insecurity and in of people. So at times, maybe, so by losing fear of people, you're able to talk to people. You know, with your barriers down, and be transparent about stuff that maybe you wouldn't have talked to them about it before. So a lot of this stuff I'm talking about, I don't want anybody to think, "Gee, I I, I don't think about this stuff." I don't realize, like, you know, this is stuff that I've learned over a period of 30 years, you know, trying to work this work this stuff under pressure, you know, through problems, and somehow, some way, I've come to certain realizations. Now, actually, I've had some thoughts about some stuff I want to talk about today. And uh, and uh, and I'm going to tell a little bit about my story, and uh, you don't have to like it or not like it. It's just my story. You know, one of the things that happens to you as an alcoholic is you, is there's a tendency to want to water down your story, or for me to water down my story. And the reason that is is in the twelve and twelve. You know, you know, drinking is really a symptom of my disease. That's what the big book says. I wouldn't have, it's a horrible symptom. It's what gets us here, but it's really a symptom. It says it says, drinking is a symptom of the disease. It says the real disease centers in our mind and our body. And, and the way I, I explain that is if you take an alcoholic and a non-alcoholic and you have both drink a bottle of scotch and they both get drunk, you're not going to be able to tell the alcoholic from the non-alcoholic. Drunk is drunk. And what I was before I came to AA is I was a drunk. I never really experienced full-blown alcoholism because I never allowed it. I never allowed I never allowed myself to experience alcoholism because whenever alcoholism, which happens when you're sober, by the way, alcoholism is that thing you experience when you're not drinking. You don't experience alcoholism when you're drinking. You know what you do is because drinking cures the alcoholism. That's what we drink. And that's it. I need a shot. I need a drink. You know what I mean? Why, why, why do you need a drink? Because I'm an alcoholic. Give me a drink. You know, I, I'll, Men and women drink because they like the effect produced by alcohol. They are sober, restless, irritable, discontented, full in, fill in any word you want. You know what I mean? The guy in the back of the room saying, I don't like this asshole. That's it. <laughs> I can't believe this son of a bitch. That's it. <laughs> Who the hell is he? He's talking. To? That's it. That's the way you are sober. Just off, looking for somebody to get mad at, looking to kill the messenger. He said somebody didn't like being touchy. All this stuff. That's your life sober. Doesn't matter whether you have money. You don't have money. There's always somebody, something there to piss you off. And you don't know why, except you know you're right, and they're wrong. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 you know, and, the, and you know, but Scots will fix that, right? You know, you love everybody, you hate everybody, but what does it matter? Let's just have a drink. And so the bottom line is, what I have to understand is that the drinking, we have the only disease that's named after the cure, the best cure, which is alcohol. And that's why I'm an alcoholic. You know, and and so that's why I drank. And so what happened is I never really experienced full-blown alcoholism because whenever I started feeling nudgy or weird or whatever it is, I started drinking. I chased it away. Now, in the end, the symptoms get so horrible. I mean, they can't arrest you for driving off fat. The symptoms get so horrible, you got arrested, you lose your job and everything. You come here and you think this is the problem, and you get rid of the alcohol. You stop drinking alcohol, and then 18 months later, you're sucking on your thumb, and you're going crazy, and you're pissed off at everybody, and you go to your spine and say, I don't know what the problem is. You're an alcoholic, but I haven't had a drink in 50. It doesn't matter because this is the disease. This is what you have to deal with. And then you realize it's a spiritual disease. It's spirit, and I had a look at the word spirit. It says that which is non-material. And how do I deal with some that that is non-material when my entire life is spent thinking about material stuff? I don't know what you think about. What do you think about? Guys, girls, people, cars, money. They're, you know, I've never seen an A meeting where people complain about spiritual stuff. Oh, I have a real problem with God. I have a, you know, they say things like my car, my boss, the money, the rent, the mortgage. It's all about stuff. It's all about things. And so, all about material stuff, you know? And it sort of seems like, it, it, it seems so obvious. I remember telling one gal, 27 years ago, I said, I was all bummed out about something. She said, let me ask you something, Russell. And she was, had like 35 years, and she was like a guru, and I knew she could help me. And she said, let me tell let me So I was listening to her, you know? And, and, I, and she said, well, can I ask you a question? And I said, Sure. He says, Would money solve this problem? I looked at her like she was from Mars. <laughs> of course, money would solve the problem. Every problem I ever had, money would solve the problem. I didn't have a problem that money wouldn't solve. I just knew if I was a multimillionaire, if I had money, money would solve the problem. I don't understand people like Britney Spears. They get in all sorts of problems, they got money. I don't understand alcohol. You have money. Would money? Of course money would solve the problems. And she says this to me. Old timers say stuff like this. You want to slap them, you know? <laughs> she said, Russell, if money will solve your problem, then you don't have a problem. And I can't even. How do you compute that? When your entire life, your entire existence is, thought about, is, is thinking about getting stuff or not losing stuff, or putting in a position where you can have stuff, or manipulate stuff so you'll be okay, because that'll solve your problem, and some old hat looks at you and says, hey, if money's your problem, you don't have a problem, you want to rip your eyes out. I said to Ray O'Keefe once, I said, when do I lose economic insecurity? He says, never. I said, the book says I lose, and economic, he says, doesn't say that. I said, it does so, in the book, he says, look it up. I looked it up, and said, he says, it says you'll lose the fear of financial security. He says, Russ, you're always going to be broke. He says, but you won't be scared about it. You know, it won't bother you. Go figure. You know, but if it don't bother you, it don't bother you. You know what I mean? And so she said, she says, you know, Russ, when you have a, an eight-year-old son who's got cancer and he's dying and all the money in the world won't fix him, that's a problem. And, you know, I had to, I had to be taught, even at 31, at 32, at 35, no matter how bright it was, I had to be taught through example, by oldsters, that stuff. Because I didn't understand if money is not the problem. It had to be put in front of me, things like that. I had to learn that over a period of time, what is important and what's not important, because I had my priorities mixed up. You know, I sort of think, you know, when thinking about it, when I think about my life and the way it was before AA, and even after coming to AA for maybe 10, 15 years or something like that, because this is a slow thing, it says... Some of us have tried to get. We we've got to get rid of our old ideas, right? And it says in twelve and twelve, unless and less than until an alcoholic accepts his devastating weaknesses and all its consequences, his sobriety will be precarious, and of true happiness, he'll find none at all. And believe me, the acquisition of happiness. Even though you go through rough times, and alcohol synonymous is important because vision for you, it says now and then, a drinker, dry at the moment, says feel better, look better, having a better time, we laugh at such salad, we know he's going to presently try the old game again because he's not happy with his sobriety. So I know guys that are 20 years and 30 years sober and 18 years and 16 years and 5 years sober and they've been going to meetings, they've been picking up chips and picking up medallions and sponsoring and doing stuff and then one day they wind up drunk. And why does that happen? Because whatever's going on in their life, it isn't enough to make them happy. So they get involved in other fellowships, hanging out with other people. You know, our big book in Bishop View, it says God will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. Listen to me. We're lonely, empty people craving spiritual fellowship. And if you don't get spiritual fellowship, you'll find it at the titty bar. You'll find it someplace else. You you won't find it. You'll find it somewhere else. You will hang out with you will hang out with people that will give you fellowship someplace else. And eventually, you'll drink or something. You'll be going down. So, you know, the bottom line is. But how do you do that? I can't. I can't think myself. I'm, this concept that I can just figure this out and then I'll be okay. That's what I want. That's what Roland Hazard said in the big book. It says. He says, after he put himself under, under the tutelage of Dr. Young, he said, he said now, for a year, he's under sober, and he says, now, having known the inner workings of my mind, drinking was impossible. And then the next slide says, yet, within three weeks, he was drunk again. You know? How many people sincerely, and how folks are anonymous, even after picking up white chips and green chips and red chips, says, I understand, I ain't never going to drink again. And then six months later, they're drunk and they can't explain it. So it's more than just being smart. It has doesn't do with being smart and keep you away from this deal. Because you've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to somehow doubt your own mental capabilities. So I would think, when I think about what was going on in my life, and I think about what was going on in my world and how I was thinking, you know, I, I sort of think my entire thought process, my entire life, prior to coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, revolved around three things. Money, women slash romance women slash romance and booze money which, I, which are basically material things, if you don't want to call money you can call it a boat, a car, whatever something material, material things I was either thinking about material things I was thinking about sex women, romance All of which, by the way, they say in chapter 7 of the 12 and 12, romance, we don't want to deprecate it, but nobody has made a worse mess of it. You know, there's only one relationship they really talk about. There's only one primary relationship. They say, see to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. They say, see to it that your relationship with him, capital H, is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. It says, when we sincerely took such a position all sorts of remarkable things happen. You know, it's being all-powerful. He, that same he, that him, gives us everything we need if we stay close to him and perform his works well. It's all about him, finding him now, performing his work well, you know, being of maximum service to him. And we come in here and all, all the guys I know want to talk about her. And all the gals want to talk about him. And they ain't talking about the capital him. They want to talk about the same stuff they were talking about in the bars to the other girls and the other guys which got them in here in the first place. One of those old ideas is if I only had this gal in this state at this time with this job and this amount of money, I'd be okay. And I had that happen, and it worked for about five minutes. And then I needed another gal in another state and another job and that worked fine for about five minutes. And the, and the bottom line is, my entire life, and my entire thought life, and my entire motivations, and everything about me, and my entire survival. Probably, and I was so sure this is correct. And you know what? One of the reasons you're so sure because the world, the world tells you that that's the way it is. You go to the movies. You know what the movies say? It's about money, sex, romance, or booze. It's all about that. That's that's what they're telling you in the movies. Hey, let me tell you something. There ain't no movie telling you what I'm telling you. They're, not, they're telling you it's about the girl. You know, my wife, my lovely wife is here. You know, we have a little disagreement. She wants to go to all, she watches the Lifetime channel. She wants to go to all these romantic, she loves these romantic movies. And I go to them, and I see what they say. Find true romance, and you'll be happy. <coughs> Find the gal, you'll be happy. I, I, we were looking out, uh, to see what movie we could see tonight, and there must be like ten romantic comedies. Romantic comedies, that's funny. A lot of romantic comedies going on in here. And then she tried to stab me with a butcher knife, you know. Ain't no romantic comedies going on in Alcoholics Anonymous, okay. I can tell you that. Ain't a comedy. Well, it's a comedy. After 30 years, it becomes sort of funny. Just watching it happen, you know. But Money, romance, sex, booze. You know, just something to make myself feel better, get away, something for the instant, the vacation. The world, the bill, you go out there and look at billboards sometimes. Look at billboards. You know what the billboards say? Booze, sex, women. You go watch TV, you know what it says? Booze, sex, women, money. You go turn on TV, you know what it says? The answer to your problem is booze, sex, women, money. You go up to your friends, the guys you hang hanging out with, you know what they say? If I only had booze, sex, women, money. You read the paper. Booze, sex, women, money. You know, or for women, obviously men, money. The entire earth celebrates that as the way, and it's what I was thinking about before I got in here. It's the only thing I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm hair-triggered to think about that stuff, and it got me drunk and crazy and in pain until I got here when some old-timer tried to talk about God, and I said, I don't want to hear about that shit. Huh. It was the only thing that the big book was about because I'm hair-triggered the other way. I'm hair-triggered the other way. And alcohol brought me to my knees. Destroyed me. You've got to be destroyed until you start giving up some of those old ideas. And those old ideas hang on for years. And so I come into this deal and all I know is one night on Christmas morning at 3 o'clock in the morning I'm watching a sermon on TV and some guy's giving his testimony and I get on my knees and I give my life to Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to like Jesus Christ. I don't know what he ever did to you to hurt you, but the bottom line, you can piss off at him. But you want to know what the great thing is? I can tell that because that's exactly what happened. Now, I'm not saying you have to do it, but that's what I did, okay? Which may not seem like a big deal, but when you're Jewish... (laughs) I must have been in real pain. Well, done but it seemed like the way out he gave his testimony he gave his witness he always was free and I was looking for freedom and something inside me whatever it is says this is the way I got on my knees and that's what happened you know what I mean now I'd like to be able to say I stopped drinking five rabbis and priests came down and everything else that's not the way it was I continued to drink until about three weeks later and something happened I got in a bad car accident and I'm not going to go through the entire thing but that's when I looked at some guy in the eye and I said I need need help I can't stop drinking because the truth of the matter is the disease is so strong And the world is so strong You know, celebration of New Year's Is strong The idea that if you're not at the party With the right people doing the right thing You're a failure Is strong The idea that, that, that What you do on New Year's Eve Is who you are Is strong in this world They make billions of dollars off of that in this world The idea that you think you're a failure because you're not driving the right car or in the right place with the right amount of money is strong. Don't kid yourself in this world. So when the Lord shows up or when God shows up or somebody shows up, we God, got, even though like Bill Wilson said, he came and I saw and all that sort of stuff, but soon worldly clamors came and snatched away how blind I had been because those things out there, the world and everything out there will destroy whatever insight you have and get it away. It'll block out the sunshine of the spirit and no matter how much you believe on a particular day, if you don't somehow align yourself in a fellowship with people that are pointing you in the right direction and constantly hearing this message, you are going to go out there and continue to think, even though you're physically sober, that money, women, men, sex, romance, that stuff is the deal. And that'll happen to you with your 30 years sober, 15 years sober, and it's hard to get rid of. And I don't think anybody, and I'm certainly not saying that I have, gets rid of it 100% perfectly, which is why I go to a lot of meetings, sponsor a lot of people then i go to Bible study, join the church that's why I do the stuff, that's why I do the stuff I do because I want to have it constantly in my face what the truth is instead of the lies and so I came in here and I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and I didn't become, and, and that's what happened to me and I started to line myself with people and they gave me, I read the big book back then when I came in 30 years ago they gave me a sermon on <coughs> the mount it was a main state of Alcoholics. some of you guys don't know this but the entire big book came from the Bible the first four years they were sober for the big book. It says, rarely ever seen a person fail, thoroughly followed our path. That was published in 39. From 35 to 39, what they were doing was they were reading the Holy Bible. And back then, you could still find it in rooms. And they were handing out, I, I got sober reading the 24-hour book. A didn't have it. The 24-hour book was, was parts of the Bible, the Holy Bible, Old and New Testament, the big book, and that's how I got sober. It wasn't until maybe 16 years later and I'd stayed sober and I'd hang out with... The, and the guys I hung out with, you know, that's what they talked about. They talked about God. They talked about your relationship with God. It wasn't a dirty word. The Bible wasn't even a dirty word. Jesus wasn't a dirty word. None of that stuff was dirty words, you know. None of that stuff was, you know, they didn't worry about being cool or anything like that. And I don't know where I'm grateful. I'll tell you what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful because I know the way alcoholics are and there's such a tendency to water down things... Because one of the, one of the uh, weaknesses of an alcohol, because we feel so crummy about ourselves, and like we're such pieces of crap, is we want people to think we're cool. And, and we know that religion is anything but cool. They may say in the big book, we see where religious people are right. They may say in the big book, we encourage church membership, but we know that's not cool. You know why? Because we see, we go, we watch TV, and people laugh at religious people. They make fun of them. And God knows we have such low opinions of ourselves and we're to- so touchy and our psyches are so fragile that even though we think we're the greatest thing in the world we really think we're a piece of shit and the last thing we want is for people to laugh at us so we try to act in such a way so that the world will applaud us and so we don't say things where people will deride us or make fun of us we sort of like end in and try to you know, act, the way, act cool and religion ain't cool and God ain't cool and Jesus ain't cool and the Bible ain't cool you know what I mean? Well, hey, how about them dolphins? That's cool. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. The dolphins ain't going to keep you sober. The Mets ain't going to keep you sober. None of those sports events going to keep you sober or you can give a shit whether you drink or not. 99% of the stuff you think of on a daily basis, every day, all the time, is not going to keep you sober. As a matter of fact, it's going to do just the opposite. It's going to draw you away from the only thing that's going to keep you sober. Because there is one who has all power, and that one is God, and you find it now. And all I know, and I don't know why this happened, because i got the same disease everybody else has, But some, and, and the only way I can, I can think it happens, of course, I, in my predilection now, I think it's the Holy Spirit. But the bottom line is, is for whatever reason it is, I chose to hang out with these men... Who were involved and focused on that deal? One of the great things about Alcoholics Anonymous is nobody can say, no man or woman can say, "Well, I never had a chance to meet somebody like that," or "I was never exposed." In AA, in this group, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Every crazy guy in every bar of the United States ends up. All the all those crazy guys in the bars, they end up in here. that's our waiting room. They end up in here. And you know something? Nobody here. You once you get here. I may never have had a choice, you understand? But once I get here and I stop drinking, I have a choice. I have a choice of who I ask to be my sponsor. I have a choice of who I listen to. I have a choice as to who I follow. I have a a choice of what books I read. I have a choice as to how to handle my life. It's my choice. I choose how to do it. I choose whether to walk out of the room or sit down. If somebody pisses me off, I choose whether to be mad at them for six months and and gossip about them behind their back or I choose to sit there and say maybe there's something wrong with me, maybe I ought to think about it. I have a choice of deciding how I'm going to act. And for some reason, thank God these older members of Alcoholics Nautics are there for me because I was attracted to them. Because I wanted what they had. Because they were not in fear. They didn't talk badly about other people all the time like I did. They didn't put other people down all the time like I did. Somehow, whenever I was, I was with them, no matter what was going on in my life, I felt safe. I never felt safe. I always felt like I was in jeopardy. I never felt like a winner. I always felt like a loser. Even if I looked like a winner. I always felt like I had something to prove. I always felt like I wasn't ready. You want to do the meeting? I'm not ready. You want to smile? I'm not ready. Which is the same thing as saying, I'm scared. I, always, I was always scared. I was always worried about what they're thinking about me. You know, it didn't matter. There was always something missing. I was always empty, and somehow, some way, I saw these men, and they didn't have that deal going on that I got. and I wanted what they had, and I didn't even know how to get it. You know, one of the things in the Bible they call it living water. There's a great line. I was uh, I was thinking about it today. About 16 years later, I actually joined the church, became a deacon of one now, and it's a a big deal for me now. uh, You don't have to have a a white chip in your pocket or a chip in your pocket to hang out with me now. I hang out with a lot of people that are not in AA. But that's okay, because I don't know if you know this, but in our big book, In the Family Afterwards, it says we encourage church membership with the family. Because I'm involved in the 11th step where I'm trying to increase my conscious contact with God, as I understand them. So how would you increase your contact with God except you hang out with people that are always talking about him or trying to find him in whatever direction you're going to? You know, whatever, whatever direction you want to move to, at least I'm talking to people about him. And there's this great line. I was thinking about this one. I went to a meeting this morning that I have every Saturday morning where we talk about whatever we talk about. And there's this great line, and I don't know how many people know about it. And it doesn't matter to me whether you think Jesus is God or you're a Christian or a Jew, whatever it is but it's one of the the reason why I love reading the Bible and I'm involved in Bible study now who would think a Jewish kid from New York okay you know an atheist an agnostic My, I, I worship played one magazine and Hugh Hefner you know what I mean <laughs> who would think I'm a deacon in a, in a Presbyterian church going to two or three Bible studies who would have figured that deal hey be careful what you laugh at. You don't know where you're going to be in 30 years. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't know. You know but So I'm thinking, but one of the reasons I love getting into the Bible, when I got into it, because it explained. Now I realize, you know, having never read the Bible, I didn't know that I was always involved in Bible study. I didn't know that the big book was the Bible. That the big book, all the big book was about, about was it was salvation through connecting up with God. From beginning to end, I've never been studying anything different but that. It was just a giant Bible commentary. I didn't know that because I was ignorant of the Bible. I was ignorant as to what they were studying. So all I did was put it down. Now I read the Bible. I work on the Bible. I understand the Bible. I said, man, this is the stuff we talk about in the big book. But so I'm not ignorant about it anymore. And, you know, the big book is big. It's a big book, right? The Bible is bigger. You know, There's more stories. So it explains a lot. And there's this incredible story. The, that, that makes it come together for to me it helps me with my program where Jesus is sitting at a well I don't know how many people are at the women at the well and a Samaritan woman, he was a Jewish guy like me, well maybe not like me <laughs> I don't want you to think I'm Jesus I'm trying and, and the Samaritan woman this is like a Arabian woman comes up and Jews didn't talk to her eyes, and, and she comes to the well and, 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 and he says would you, would you, and she says what are you doing here without, without a cup to pick to get the water you can't get water without a cup and he says to her and he says to her this He says, she came there to get water and says you know if you ask me he says the water you're going to get from this well you'll drink but you'll thirst again but you'll thirst again he said that if you ask me I give you living water water that if you drink you will never thirst again And you know when I think about it, the problem with me with booze, the problem with me with women, the problem with me with money, the problem with me with all that other stuff I was trying to get into my life, which a lot of it I got. You know what the problem was? I was always thirsty after drinking it. I was always thirsty after drinking it. I'd run and hide and hawk my life and hock my integrity and prostitute my ideals and do everything to grab it and i get it and i feel good and then I'd be thirsty again. And I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I got down on my knees. I asked God come to my life. I went around godly people. I started serving these things and I got water that I drank and I never had a thirst again. I never thirsted again after 5 years, not after 10 years, not after 20 years, not after 30 years. I'm st- uh, you know the only thing I thirst after I do thirst again I'm lying I want more water I want more of that water man you know you know' what's the great thing about outballs and honest you don't realize this until you get about 25, 26 years 30 years they can't kick you out) <laughs> You see, you see you're so scared. One of the things with alcoholics, you see, you understand, is they wanna they wanna belong, they wanna be accepted, they're scared of being rejected. That's why relationships don't do well. Because, you know, your wife, your husband looks at you funny one day or, you know, they may, they may have acid indigestion, you know what I mean? Say, what did I do? You know what I mean? They get all mad or something like that. So we're all worried about whether, you know, whether people like us or not like us or saying the right thing or the wrong thing. So we all, every so before you say anything, you always run through the, what will they, what will this sound like? What will they think? Will they hate me? Will they like me? But if you, if you, if you lose that fear of people, you know, you can talk fast. Because you don't have to run through the filthy You just talk about whatever's on your mind Whatever the Lord puts on your mind And you talk about it And then when you realize they can't They can't take out of alcohol You can say things like Jesus and You talk about the Bible You talk about whatever you want to talk about You know And some old fool comes up to you and says I And you say, well, okay, well that's fine You know, whatever, it doesn't matter It don't matter And you know what? People want this stuff Because they want, you know what they want? They want the message of, of, of death and, and weight they want to know the solution, because people who are hungry for a solution want the solution. And people who are scared of the solution, because it scares them, I don't care if they got 20 years or 30 years, they get pissed off and they kill the messenger. And they get angry and they make it go away. And that's because if the messenger is correct, then they may have to change. And they don't want to change, because alcoholics don't want to change. So they're 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 pissing and moaning and criticizing as they're talking about the second step and being open-minded. You know, and all I know is I came in here and I started doing this deal, and I don't even know why. I can't even take credit for it. That's I don't take credit. I don't even you know. I I want to be able to say, look at me, look what I've done. Look, I I can't even take credit for it, because the longer I'm around, the more I see it happens. I'm saying, how is this happening? This doesn't make any sense. My brain is telling me to go the opposite. My brain is telling me to do all the wrong things. My brain is telling me to say the wrong things. My my brain is telling me to concentrate on the wrong things. There's an incredible impetus for me to cut and run and water down everything and do everything differently and second-guess myself, and yet I do this other deal. This other deal takes over. And it says in the big book, and then I look at the 11th step, they say when he comes into your life and you lose fear of people, it says all of a sudden your little plans and designs go away. You lose fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter, you were reborn. And it talks about in the 11th step how, how when, we, when this first happens, all of a sudden you have this inspirational uh, thinking. And it says you may do weird things, you may act crazy, you may say weird things. But after a while it becomes a working part of the mind. It says we come to rely upon it. We're, you're always thinking like this. And you're always thinking about him. And you're always focusing on and meditating on that deal. On that prayer meditation. It's not even a separate thing of your life. Your default position. When you're not concentrating on this or that and the other thing. Your default position is about him. And so when I'm driving in the car. And I'm not thinking about something that i got to think about. And believe me, I cut out... Somehow over the years 90% of the stuff I used to think about I don't think about Because it's none of my business I used to be, I used to think a lot about things That were none of my business I don't worry about a lot of stuff There's a lot of stuff going on That I used to worry about That was none of my business You know I, I used to worry about stuff In the future Which is none of my business You know 9 out of 10 things you worry about Ain't gonna happen And one thing's gonna happen is gonna happen differently anyway You know what I mean And all of a sudden When I started cutting out When the, when the Lord started taking over my life and the spiritual stuff started coming in. 90% of my thought life was like gone, which is good for the committee. You know, because you don't have to have those 15,000 people in your van. It helps you think clearer. And then all of a sudden I find when I'm not, and then I populate my life with the big book. I populate my life with the 12 and 12. I populate my life with the thoughts of Bill Wilson. Dr. I populate my life with the Bible with the thoughts of the Apostle Paul about you know, St. Augustine, about all these people we read about that, that influence them. I populate my life with those people and I hang around those people in my everyday life and people that talk about those people. So when I drive in a car and I got nothing necessarily to think about, I don't think, all of a sudden I find myself thinking about you know the Lord or I think about you know the Sermon on the Mount, or I think about the woman at the well. I think about, I think about the big book. I think about I think about none of this stuff is designed to make me feel bad. It's all designed to lift me up and make me feel good. And then I go to an a meeting and I talk about this stuff, and some poor schmuck in the back is going, "I don't hear this crap. Too bad. Too bad. Too bad. Too bad." You know, if you got a problem, you know what they say. You know what they say in our fellowship? If you're pissed off and you got a problem. Something disturbs you, there's something wrong with you. So that's a great thing. I get you to, you get to work on that. If you're really solid about AA, then you go out here and say, Why is that guy that Russell, I can't stand his guts. Why can't I stand his guts? What is it about him? What is he saying that's really bothering me? Why am I really bothered? You know, or you can just get mad and pissed off, which is what alcohols do, like childish behavior, and go out and have a drink. To have a drink, you know that's another way you can just drink. That's what we do. And so I, I just talk about, and so that's what my life is about. It's about uh, I, I don't I don't need a lot. I'm, I'm 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 low maintenance. I don't need to go somewhere to be entertained. I don't need to you know I, I I don't need to do anything. I don't need to spend anything. You know, you know I don't need to drive a new car. I don't need to have a brand new watch on. I don't need to, I mean I, I own stuff. I have stuff. I do stuff. You know, I don't need to be perfect. I, I can screw up. I realize it's not about being perfect. I understand that. That's hard to sort of grasp that deal. I used to be in a world that if you weren't perfect, you were terrible. If you weren't perfect, you ought to kill you. I lived, used to live in a world where it was all about, I'm a piece of crap. I ought to die. I ought to kill myself. I lived in the world of diets. You go on a diet, you've you, you got one taste of ice cream, well, screw it, you know? You might as well eat the whole thing. because my life. La- I live in a world where there's no forgiveness. Where if I screw up, I'm a piece of shit. Why do I even bother? I live in a world where there's no, that, that if you're not perfect, you don't belong. You know, or you're less than. And now I live in a different world. I live in a world that you are going to screw up, and I am going to screw up, and I screw up from time to time. And you know something? I confess it. I confess it, which is what they tell us to do. I talk to another person about it. I pray about it. I'm remorseful. I repent of it. You know what I mean? I try to do better next time. And I'm forgiven because I know that's, I know that what I'm supposed to do, forgive other people, is exactly what the God of my understanding does. He forgives me and He loves me and He just wants to see me back on the saddle again. I understand He goes after the lost sheep. You know what I mean? Those are the people he wants. And he says it doesn't matter if you're hurting and you screw up. It's okay. You can come back again. And when you live in that world when you're not perfect and you screw up and you're trying to do the best you can and you're straining to get to reach the end of the goal. When you live in that world and you know that no matter what happens if you're repentant and you're trying to do better and you come back and you're focusing on that deal you're going to be forgiven because he loves you. You want to? something? Life isn't that bad. As a matter of fact, it's pretty damn good. It gets pretty damn good. And there's a lot of power there in that world, and there's a lot of power to destroy in the other world. But you know, this stuff I'm talking about, right now, this stuff I'm talking about isn't being talked about out there—not on TV, not on radio. You know, I'm talking about it to you because every chance I can get, that's what I want to talk about. So I want to wish everybody a happy and joyous New Year. To me. You know, and I and I don't want to belabor the thought. You know, I'm so glad I got through New Year's Eve. To me, that's the world celebrating what the world wants you to believe. I watch what's going on, on TV. I watch the people trying so hard to party so hard to make believe that they have a good life and they're having a good time. I watch drink as much as they can, do as much as they can to make believe that their life is. I watched that deal. I was involved in that deal. I worshipped at that altar. It didn't work for me. Okay? Trying to dance till 3 o'clock in the morning, do whatever you have to do to make believe things are okay. I understand that deal. I'm so happy we're on January 1st, 2011, because this is the real deal right now. So, God bless you. Thank you very much.
1: Um,
0: okay.